Welcome, everybody, to the Radical Real Estate Podcast with Coos and Kale. I'm Carl Kuzer with Lawyer's Title, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Kale Thomas, broker owner of Elite Properties Direct. Hey, before we get too far into it, I just wanted to say that you can reach us at radicalrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's radicalrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. So, um, yeah, this is our first inaugural podcast that we're doing. And uh, so we're just really excited to put this together. You excited, Carl? I'm so stoked. Couldn't you tell by that intro? Yeah, man. I'm all hopped up. Yeah, that's great. Well, you got to have some energy because these things can kind of be boring if you most are drone on. And we hope that these won't be for you people out there in podcast land. Yeah. So, so why the heck are you going to listen to this podcast? Is kind of the question. Uh, well, I mean, our vision here, and Carl, f- feel free to jump in on this, but um, in my mind, we're trying to keep ahead of current events before they impact the housing market. And then we want to have a forum where we can kind of have a healthy debate about things like how how healthy is the housing market? What's going to happen in the mortgage industry? Uh, what do you want to see out of this? Thing? Well, no, absolutely. I want it to be a forum for uh, people, whether it be our guests or feedback that we get from our listeners that uh, you may not always agree with everything that we say or that our guests say, and to be quite honest, we may not always agree with what our guests say either. But the fact of the matter is when you look at what's going on in our nation, our country, uh, we want to have a, a conversation about things and get people thinking. Let's let's make our own decisions and you know be a resource for that conversation, be a, a, a channel for that conversation to take place, right, wrong, or indifferent. Let's have the conversation. Let's be civil in the process and, you know, take from it what you will. Yeah, awesome. So I think the types of people that we intend on having on the show are other realtors, title reps, for example, government affairs officials, possibly those from the mortgage industry, the escrow industry, home warranty industry, basically anyone that can add to the conversation about where we're headed. Uh, I think would be a viable candidate as a um, a guest on the show. So for those listeners out there, if you know of someone you think we should have on the show, we want to hear from you guys. But this podcast is really, it's for anyone that has a general interest in where the housing market's going, which could be homeowners, future homeowners, realtors, someone in the real estate profession. Investors, like, speculators. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think we're all kind of curious at least as to what's going on. Right. So hopefully we can help shed some light on some of these questions. So one of the things, Carl, that, uh, you and I had talked about before that we want to do is talk about some, a benchmark or kind of a measuring stick, so to speak for the housing market and kind of check on this, check in on this rather each time we do a podcast, we can kind of, kind of see like where we've come from and where we are and where we might be headed and what we've landed on is the IYR ETF. And for those of you out there, I'm just going to explain this um, in, in the simplest way that I can. But an ETF, in case you were wondering what the heck that is, is basically just a vehicle that allows you to trade something like it's a stock. So for example, the IYR covers the Dow Jones real estate sector index and allows you, if you if you wanted to, you can run out and buy shares of IYR. I am not at all suggesting you do that, by the way. But yeah, our attorneys aren't going to be keen on that. Yeah. Do we have attorneys? Um, just go with Some, it. Yeah, someday. Just go with it. Yeah. So the, the reason we picked this index is it's something you could look up on your smartphone. It's something you can get data on if you Google it. And it, so it's fairly liquid and it, get, it paints a picture 
of where what happened to housing in that 2007, 2008 period where it skyrocketed. Uh, I'm sorry, 2006, 2007 period. What happened to housing 2008, 2009 when it hit the bottom? And where are we now? And so what Carl and I had done is we were taking a look at a, at a chart and just kind of having a discussion about it. But what, like when you look at this chart, Carl, what are some of the things that you see? Well, I don't see the run-up, if you will, for lack of a better way of putting it, that we did uh, precipitating the 2008 debacle that happened in housing. I see growth, but it's a lot more stretched out. And it's too bad that our audience can't see it to really get a feel for what we're talking about. But I see currently, I see growth. I see a little bit of correction. I see a little bit of a rebound. I see a little bit of a correction and so on and so forth. I don't see the precipitous increase followed by the drastic decline. I mean, it's like... (laughs) The, the 2006 time, it looks like a hill in Glamis where you're going up and you can't see the other side. Right. And what I see happening currently is I see a nice, well, not necessarily nice, but I see a steady uh, progression, a little bit of a pullback, followed by another progression. So in layman's terms, I see what looks like would be more of a natural market, if for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, I agree. And I think for those of you that really want to dig into it and and kind of have a visual around what we're looking at, look up IYR as a ticker symbol and and see if you can get a chart on your Apple phone or Android, or or if you have a brokerage, you can pop on and get a chart. But Carl's right, you know, from about 2005 to 2007, the IYR just went parabolic, meaning it just it went up at an increasingly high rate, and the since the bottom, which is a value of twenty ninety nine, by the way, um, since that bottom, we have had this kind of gradual rise, and then some corrections in between, and and we've risen to the level we're at now, which is seventy eight seventy eight. And to give you some perspective or context around this, the all time high was ninety four ninety nine, so roughly ninety five. And the all-time low was roughly 21. Um, but at any rate, we're not at those all-time highs yet. We still have some room to grow. And I think what we gather from this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carl, but it just seems like it's growing at a pace that seems sustainable, for, sustainable, or for lack of a better term, like normal, like what should be expected, I would say. Yeah, that's barring anything drastic happening, like say a 9/11 event. I mean, and, but no one can predict that, and no one can account for that in any forecasting, in any model, in any industry. Let's be honest. Right. It's, those those type of uh, uh, epic events have an effect on anything, and whatever happens in the aftermath of that is going to happen, regardless of how well we've planned, or what we've done, or what measures are in place. This just looks like a normal market. Agreed. So we had talked a little bit about um, some of the other predictions that we've heard kind of rolling around on the internet and other podcasts and things. That, people that we respect. Yeah, yeah. Well, the industry respects, respects them, right? right? Um, and I, I, Carl and I have talked about this in the past, but I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of saying like, I guarantee the IYR is going to be at, you know, uh, 105 by next summer, and then we're crashing all the way down to 50. Like, I think, who 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 can call? No one has a crystal ball. I think that's a little bit, um, 
careless, if you will, to, to make calls like that. But we see a lot of that stuff in our industry. Right. And what's interesting is is locally in, in Southwest Riverside County or really the Inland Empire, one of the names that's that comes to mind when you think of real estate and forecasting is Bruce Norris. I mean, I think everyone in the industry knows who he is and very well respected. I mean, this is a man that in 2006 got up before the uh, Builders Forum, the building industry, and think back 2004, 2005, 2006, exactly the, the parabolic rise we saw on the chart we were just referring to. And in the midst of that, this man had the, dare I say, audacity to say that there was a coming crash in the housing market. And it was going to be like nothing that had been seen or experienced before. And I won't say that he was laughed off the stage because the man is far too well-respected for that to happen, but no one put any stock in what he said. And lo and behold, what happened in 2008, 2009? That man, Bruce Norris, is also predicting changes coming up in the next, well, probably starting in another year or two. And he's predicting, and this is something I hadn't shared off air, but he's predicting that in 2018, the housing market, at least in California, I don't have all the data before me from what I heard, will decline by 17, 17% housing appreciation and then another 17% the following year before it rises back up. And he bases everything off of data, 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 demographics and data. And that doesn't really jive with what we're seeing and everything else. And for me, when I look back at the crash of 2008, there were a lot of fundamentals that were just bad, bad fundamentals in the housing market, the loans we were giving out. I mean, how many discussions have we had where people that worked at Walmart, no offense to anybody that works at Walmart, but people that worked at Walmart that make $15 an hour maybe were getting $650,000 houses in Paris, which I referred to already. That's bad fundamentals. I don't see that going on. And that's at some point we'd like to have a, you know, a mortgage professional on, maybe our friend Bill Provost will, will come on and who can speak to that. But we don't see those types of loans. We don't see those types of, um, what, what was the term that Greenspan used? Exuberance. Um, uh, the term, something he used, something exuberance. Um, I'll have to look it up. But I, it wasn't good. <laughs> you know, I kind of, I, the word liquidity comes to mind when we have this conversation and. Irrational exuberance, sorry. Oh, very good. You gotta love Google on your phone. I didn't have a chance to look oh, it up. It just yeah. came to me as I was about to Google it. Sure, sure it did, Carl. <laughs> good for you. True story. S super brain. Um, we were just piling on the liquidity in the marketplace, and we, meaning we were giving access to money to everybody, anyone and everyone that wanted to. Basically, you just had to have a desire to buy real estate, and there's pretty much there was pretty much a way to put that together. Fog this mirror. Sign here. Right. And more liquidity entered into the marketplace than should have. We don't have that problem right now. Right. I don't I don't see that we've had anything like that in the last eight years. Stated income loans were a big part of the problem back in that time frame. We've heard of them. But they're not really gaining the traction that they, they did that was to the extent that they were creating the problems they were back in 
2006, 2007, where, you know, a person with a 780 FICO score could basically get anything they wanted by signing a contract. That was one of the fundamentals that was wrong and that contributed largely to uh, amongst everything else that was wrong back in that time frame. So I, so I used to work at uh, Countrywide Wholesale Subprime. <laughs> okay, I, I'll, I'll have to find this on my computer and bring it to you and show you, but I have old flyers that we created and they say something like this. Um, FICO score 580 and above. 100% financing up to $625,000 purchase price, one day out of bankruptcy, okay, 80-20 financing. The subprime, as you just so eloquently described, was also a huge part of the fundamentals that were wrong in that time frame. And to hear you put it is just a flashback. <laughs> it, that, that's that's crazy. Who would, who would do that? I mean, so you know, behind the scenes, I, I knew other reps, right? That was the business I was in and other reps would have these conversations. Like I'm going to go over to new century because they're going to lend on 20, 20 points lower FICO score, or I'm leaving Argent five sixty five to go. Yeah. hundred percent financing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that showed its face in the marketplace for a while, by the way, I did see a five sixty. I also saw 100% financing neg am combos meaning so let me explain that so we're going to do a, a kind of a 20 percent second mortgage we're going to do an 80 percent first mortgage which by the way you don't even have to make the full payment on if your full payment's two thousand bucks on the first just you know give us 1200 bucks a month and that's fine we'll just add the 800 a month difference on the back end and by the way you're starting out at 100 percent financing anyways like who thought that was a good idea right that is craziness. What possibly could go wrong with this? I mean, when I saw that product, <laughs> I was just kind of like, "Wow!" Like how much? Like That's, how much more aggressive can it get? So that speaks to that term by Greenspan, the irrational exuberance. That is a perfect example of it. I just, but I guess to tie this back in and rain, because I don't, I don't want to go on this topic forever, but. We don't see that in our marketplace now. We don't no. have that as a current catalyst. We did have that in 2006, 2007. And for the most part, everyone, including, well, the industry is behaving itself. Would you not agree? I for would agree. Part. And it, you know, a lot of that has to do with Dodd-Frank, good or bad. But that's a topic now that is popular. It's on the table. That's a very nice segue. Trump. I, I got to applaud you. That was an thanks. amazing segue. Thanks, man. You know, just came to me. But Trump has, has publicly talked about either repealing or reforming Dodd-Frank. So what the heck does that mean? Back after these messages. <laughs> Stay tuned. So at any rate, I told my wife, I'm going to pull out all this old crap that I have laying around. From, from what From career? my failed music career. Not failed. Long pause. Slightly delayed. Okay. okay. Delayed a lot. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> Our first confrontation? Yeah, that's air? great. <laughs> How nice we are to each other. Hey, you have a hit song. 
It's called Big Black Van. That's that too is incomplete. Just like my music dreams. But there's a movie that goes along with it, so it's just it's a big plan. It's a big project. Yeah, it's bigger than us. True. But it, yeah, it's kind of nice to dig this stuff out. I mean, we were just talking off air, right? Right. Because we're on air and off air. Yeah, because talking off air about how this is professional radio. It, it's kind of hard to put together a podcast because you just need the initial startup for everything. Cumbersome. It's cumbersome. Right. Yeah. But uh, that's a word for someone I went to Elsinore High School. Yeah. Good job, man. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Tiger Pride. So uh, I think we had we had teased the audience about Trump and Dodd Frank before we went off air. Uh, we did. You know what we should do is stop this and say welcome back. Yes. Welcome back to the Kuza Kale Radical Real Estate Radio Podcast Show. Try that again. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Radical Real Estate Podcast with Coos and Kale. Hey. We're back. All right. So we, we had kind of, um, well, I'm just going to jump back in. We kind of toyed around with Dodd-Frank and Trump before we left That's off. That's President Trump. Mr. President Trump. Like, did you watch, uh, you watched The Apprentice? I used to. You watch the new one with Arnold? Get to the choppa. So he kind of gets mad if people don't call him governor. Like, so do we always, I guess we always have to refer to Trump now as President Trump. Like, Arnold gets a little pissed if he is not referred to as Governor Schwarzenegger. That's a little bit uh, 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 narcissistic, in my opinion. (laughs) The, how about the how about would he like governator? I maybe because you know if he didn't like that then he's being a little disingenuous himself. I think Arnold kind of takes himself a little seriously. Wow, that's too bad. Yeah, but uh, After all know. those cheesy one-liners, a man would take himself that seriously. <laughs> what he's, happened to Sully? I had to let him go. <laughs> he's. I mean, his his catchphrase is on there. It's not you're fired. It's always you're terminated. And then they literally say get to the chopper because they fly off whoever is, you know, terminated from the show in a in a helicopter. And then does he say I'll be back at the end of the show? Because that would be no, over the top but, cheesy. Yeah. It it's a little cheesy. It's it's definitely different. He's cheesy. He he's a little cheesy. He's cheesy. And and never mind. I don't want to get political. This is not a political show. <laughs> So at any rate, although uh, we're talking about Dodd Frank and President Trump, thanks for bearing with us on that uh, two-minute sidetrack about <laughs> um, names. At any rate, uh, President Trump has made it very clear that he wants to at least dismantle a portion of Dodd Frank, if not do away with Dodd Frank. What are your thoughts on that? I think Dodd Frank was a, an overreaction from the outset. I think there are just like the the Obamacare, the ACA, there are some good points of it. And again, not getting political. I think Dodd-Frank though, the, the whole, when you look at the time frame in which Congress was passing it, they were very anti wall street, very anti uh, free enterprise, if you will. What was Siri doing? <laughs> that was crazy. Okay. So Siri likes Dodd-Frank. Apparently. apparently. No, but uh, and there was 
they were very anti Wall Street, very anti capitalism, if you will, but very pro regulation, pro government, pro big government. So what you ended up was a bill that probably the intent was was timely, but it overreached, in my opinion. And you know, to put it in perspective, the cost of enacting out the provisions of Dodd Frank. I heard an interview a couple of years ago from the CEO of Wall of Home Depot, and he was just lamenting the fact that how expensive it was to implement all the facets of Dodd Frank as imposed upon the C. And the CEOs were, uh, you know, responsible for making sure that all that happened. Otherwise, there were repercussions and even I think criminal uh, punishments and 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 and. They needed a scapegoat. Yeah. They need, yeah. No, but they were at the end of that part. <laughs> but but there were there were there were provisions for 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 uh, punishment to the CEO if they didn't see to it that all these provisions were carried out. Right. But the point is, is that he said that the cost of implementation of Dodd Frank was through the roof. But in the end, those costs were simply passed along to the consumers who Dodd Frank was supposed to protect. the The intent, anyways, was to protect the American consumer. But it didn't. It ended up costing them more money in the long run. And so, I mean, granted, and that was just a facet of Dodd-Frank. There were other things that were were probably good. But the sum of the whole was more government regulation that impacted, and then when it relates to our industry, for the purposes of our conversation here, impacted mortgage, their ability to to lend, and has frankly bottled up the the growth that was needed and the programs that were needed. And it had a negative impact in a lot of respects. It, it, it helped in some respects, but I think the sum of the whole was was that it was too restrictive, and it didn't allow for a natural recovery, whether it be for real estate specific or the overall economy as a whole. It's uh, you know it's a it's a funny conversation. My my kind of knee jerk reaction to Dodd Frank is it, it's almost like an interesting experiment with with again, liquidity and money and saying, you know what, we're going to be very careful in lending out money for the purpose of buying real estate. And we're only going to give you that money. If you can fully document everything about yourself and your income and you've got clean credit, et cetera. And I think what it did is it, a, a lot of people were out of the housing market for years. I mean, they just had a bankruptcy or foreclosure or what have you. And they're just they're not even a viable buyer and for so, years. And so Dodd-Frank wasn't necessary for, for that segment of the market because they weren't going to be in the market as you just alluded to anyways. Right. Well, all those programs that might have spoken to someone right out of bankruptcy were immediately taken off the table. Right. The only mortgage products you had out there were those that were kind of more, tra- let's say, traditional, um, conventional loans with full, full documentation. So- when I say it's an interesting experiment because it really tied housing to wages and employment and unemployment at the time was absolutely horrible, but it, it Double did digits in some States. Yeah. And it did have a very, it did have a fairly good correlation with income. And I still think we're, we're in that. Well, we're in the same boat now. And unless something happens with Dodd Frank, where, Unless our income significantly change, I don't see the reason we're going to have a significant boom in real estate. And I was kind of looking at some of the predictions for last year this morning um, from Zillow and from Redfin and from Realtor.com. 
their economists. And they were saying, oh, well, you know, for, for 2000, 2016, we see growth, but slower growth. And they pointed to the fact that wages need to go up before housing prices can go up. So I think Dodd-Frank kind of pinned us to wages, which isn't necessarily a, a bad thing, but it just kind of it, it is what it is. But for the sake of argument, wouldn't free markets do that anyways? I think they, I think they would to a certain extent. However, if if some version of the Dodd Frank reform says, I'm just going to throw a scenario out there. Um, for some someone that owns a small business, we know that you may have part of your capital tied up in the actual business. And you may be showing a smaller amount on your tax returns than, say, a W-2 equivalent to what you do. Um, and therefore, we're not going to pay as much attention to your debt-to-income ratio, but we, re- we are going to look at your credit and we are going to look at your assets. Based upon that, if those two things are sound, we will lend to you. We'll lend to you on an owner-occupied residence uh, in the same fashion that we would lend to someone who fully documented their income, but they're a W-2 employee. That... I think would bring in a population of buyers that is semi on the sidelines right now because they don't show all of their income on the, on a W2. They don't, or more importantly, their 1040 tax form at the end of the year doesn't show the income that they really make. So one could argue that the small business owner of America has really been held back from Dodd-Frank because they, they could truly afford, a say, a nicer property. Um, but they really can't move up. Or maybe they can't even buy their first home because they're held to a, a standard that doesn't necessarily fit the way that their income is documented, if that makes sense. It does. But that opens up the slippery slope of, okay, Let's just say we come out with stated income loans for self-employed persons and we get used to that for two or three years. Then what? I mean, do we keep going down that road and say, all right, well, let's do stated income, no asset, good credit. If you have a down payment, uh, where do we go with that? That's kind of what I want to see unfold to give me a better sense of are we headed for a crash or not? And certainly I think if that stated income conversation comes to be, that could be the engine to drive prices higher right. in the near term. Well, I think on a larger scale too, one of the things that's important to keep in mind with Dodd-Frank was kind of, I guess I was hinting at it when I was talking about the CEO of Home Depot but the real effect outside of real estate that Dodd-Frank has had on, well, housing indirectly, but on the economy as a whole, is that it really put a damper on the economic recovery. So you have the stimulus that was enacted in you know 2009, right after President Obama's election. And then you have the regulations imposed by Dodd-Frank. And looking at this report that I have in my hand I was showing you earlier from Peter Wallace and from the American Enterprise Institute, that frankly, the recovery from the recession, the Dodd-Frank enabled a slower than usual recovery. So without it, and, and tying back in what we said a minute ago, the recovery 
with the free markets taking care of it would have been better than had Dodd-Frank not been enacted at all. And that has a place in real estate because if the economy recovers, obviously, and you pointed to this, incomes, um, incomes will get better. And when incomes get better, that means there's jobs. And when people have jobs and income, they can purchase houses. So was it needed? Was it a knee-jerk reaction? Those are all very good topics of discussion. Um, but looking at this report, I mean, and, and it's very well documented from the American Enterprise Institute, uh, it, it was an overreach that had unintended consequences. I, I mean, I would say anything of that magnitude would have to have unintended consequences. By no means am I like a big fan of Dodd-Frank or anything, but I do think um, – Anything of that magnitude where you're affecting a whole industry, and, and Dodd-Frank reaches further than just, obviously, the real estate industry, but anytime you write a bill that large, I think there's bound to be some unintended consequences. And But do you read the bill before or after you pass the bill? Oh, do we even need to read the bill? Just sign it. And read it afterwards to know what's yeah. in it. Yeah, of course. That, what, what could go wrong with that? Why not? I think it would. Yes, there's an there's absolutely some knee jerk commentary in there, and and as with a lot of legislation, it was written in a urgent matter by people that are not necessarily in the industry. Right. And the, I think that combination is never good, and we see that in other aspects of legislation as well. Well, and and what affects our industry specifically is is not CFPB and TRID all a direct result of Dodd-Frank? I would say yes. So if there are repeals and President Trump does enact some of those changes, to what degree then will CFPB and TRID be affected? I think that is a relevant topic of conversation. Mm. I'll be honest. I never really got TRID. I don't really get how it helps a homeowner, especially like, I don't know, for example, you're in escrow and you're a buyer and you've done your inspections and you've, you've, uh, gotten your appraisal back and you've gotten your good faith estimate and you know what to expect and something comes along and it's going to cost you an additional eighth in rate because your FICO score dropped because you went out and you bought furniture or something like that. Which don't you should ever, never, yeah. ever do. Please don't do to that. all buyers and. But let's just say there. you're in that situation. <laughs> you know, stuff comes at us. It's real life. You didn't know any better. You went out and bought furniture. Your FICO score drops. Your rate's going to go up a little bit before you close. Do you really want three days to think about that? I mean, do you really want to? Because isn't a thirty to forty-five day escrow long enough? That's the, I mean, as a buyer, you have so many outs in right. which you can cancel and get out of the transaction. But do you really need an extra protection on the back end for for that? Like, I just I don't I don't get it. It's it's overkill. I think it causes more problems for the buyer because sometimes the buyer or the buyer's lender is now in a position where they have to sit and pa- sit on their hands for three or four days before they can do anything, even if. They're putting their buyer in a situation where the buyer's paying a per diem penalty because they can't close on a certain right. date. And I've seen this happen time and time again where we're in escrow and the sellers now want the buyers to pay a penalty because the buyer's lender is forced to, by way of TRID, right. give this mandatory wait period on the back yep. end that just I, – I, 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 I don't get it. And it's not protecting the consumer in the end. 
in that it's scenario. Pr- I would argue it's probably cost the it's consumer. It's costing them money, both, yeah. Thousands of, not hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in penalties because they couldn't perform on time. Right. And have you had it? I've had these conversations with agents and lenders before where you have the 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 borrower say, well, f- forget the extra three days. I'm good. Let's right. go. They would like to waive it. Yeah. I mean, and, and maybe maybe that's a solution. Give them the maybe there could yeah there could be an option for the buyer to waive that where they sign a form and says look I fully understand what my right is I, I would just like to waive it so I can close escrow but for please. the sake of expedience I would want to waive that so I can close my escrow yeah why why not give that option to the buyer that's a good idea I mean that that's a great topic Ken Calvert <laughs> Daryl Isa you listening <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a show, Kale. It sounds like it. Thanks for listening to us, by the way. Hopefully, have- hopefully you got something out of this, you know? And, and hopefully you guys can write into us at our Gmail address at radicalrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for all our, our listeners out there and for all our sponsors. Nike, Apple, <laughs> Tesla. Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, I maybe we should. What's the takeaway on the Dodd Frank thing, real quick, that I could punch in? I think having adults in a room have adult conversations and look at the provisions that have that have helped and keep those. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and improve or get rid of the provisions that have not worked and only caused delays. And think about it from a business perspective. You know, like just based on spontaneously what happened a minute ago, I think it'd be really awesome if those making the decisions on what to repeal or reform got some people from our industry in a room and said, how does this go through the mechanics of how this affects a transaction or what are the ideas you guys have to make Dodd-Frank better or to make TRID better or uh, what like realistically is going to be a benefit or should be reformed instead of just thinking along the lines of, we know best and we know what the people need and we're just going to do this. And that happens too far too often. And again, not wanting to get political, but when you look at the ACA or Obamacare as it's called, um, and that's what the read it or pass it before you, you read it, you know, outtake was from let's not have our government officials act on they know best, but rather solicit the opinions of the professionals that do the work every day, the professionals in industry, the Kale Thomases of the world, and see how they can improve it. Take their empirical evidence, their experiences, their history in the business, and see how that can be best served to make this a better law and help the industry and actually have the intended consequences rather than the unintended consequences. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, you know what, Kale? That looks like about all our time for today, but uh, it's been fun. Yeah, we probably have to go in before our wives kill us. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Thanks for listening to the Radical Real Estate Podcast with Kuz and Kale. I'm Carl Kuzer. And I'm Kale Thomas. We'll see you guys again on the next segment. Peace out. Peace out.